Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, performed by the Bond Philharmonics, and while a beautiful piece of music, perhaps an unusual introduction to a podcast about wool. Or is it? Hello, welcome to The Yarn. This is a podcast about the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming, and in this episode, we examine what has been one of the hardest nuts to crack for the Australian industry, the giant US market. America, the world's largest economy, home to 330 million people, many of whom live in a cold climate, consume about 150 million kilograms of clean wool at retail annually. This is behind the number one country, China, with over 230 million kilograms. But this is changing, and in this episode, we discuss the opportunities and threats to wool in the United States of America. It's a country known for its strong connections to another natural fibre, cotton. Later we'll hear from two very senior managers from within the well-known and well-loved US brand Banana Republic, part of the iconic clothing retailer Gap. We recently had the pleasure of hosting a group from that company and the interview is a real insight not to be missed, I promise you. Beforehand, though, let's get an insight into the US market from Stephen Kelly. He works for Australian Wool Innovation, or Woolmark, in San Francisco on the west coast of the US. And we had a chat on the streets of Melbourne during this US retail tour. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, so you've been with us for, I think, 18 months, maybe two years? Almost so two years, yeah, yeah, two years in December. So I think um, it would be great to hear a little bit about uh, how you work for Walmart and how you came to work for Walmart. Absolutely. So I've been with Walmart for close to two years. I'm the key account manager on the West Coast, based in Los Angeles. We have an office in Culver City, and I work primarily with sports and outdoor brands. That just happens to be how the coasts are divided. On the East Coast, it's... Uh, it's mostly fashion brands and so I actually came from the outdoor industry did outdoor industry consulting for uh, two years on product management and marketing and then I worked for about 10 years in the cycling industry in product management. Now when you say key account manager what does that mean? Yeah it's a it's a pretty um, eclectic role but but primarily we're in charge of partnering with brands to help increase their demand for wool so that includes um, education Going to their offices and, and helping them with uh, with education, um, teaching them about the fiber, and then also um, helping to promote and market their their wool product and and really teach their consumer why this is the the best natural performance product. How are you reading uh, the uh, the market for wool or the market for merino on the west coast? That's a really good point. So on the west coast. The uh, people have a connotation when they hear wool. They think itchy and scratchy. They think grandma's sweater that's uh, that's going to prickle you. And so, in the sports and outdoor market, we're primarily seeing people uh, call it merino, and um, either merino or merino wool. And they they associate that with performance, softness, um, and they yeah they, they think that's the ultimate type of, of wool is merino. So we've seen a growth in uh, the demand for Merino in uh, these active outdoor brands for some years now, um, but obviously this is also coming through in the U.S. now too? Yeah, definitely, and, and um, it, it started with socks and then started trickling into base layers, and now we're seeing it 
um, in all sorts of products. Uh, th that's primarily because of, of the sustainability of wool and the outdoor market is, especially is very conscious about um, natural and renewable products. And so we're seeing more demand and we're, we're also seeing more innovation within the fiber and within the end product. And, and a great example is we partnered this year with Kelly Slater's brand Outer Known and we released a 100% merino wool board short. And um, that just shows the versatility of wool, the fact that it's not going to um, shed harmful uh, polyester or, or synthetics into the ocean when you're wearing it. And so we just see um, endless opportunities in the outdoor uh, and sports market for wool. So how does your, uh, your role work? Um, talk, talk us through an example of where you've had influence with the brand and to get Merino or wool into their collection. Sure. So I'll go back to the Kelly Slater example. So Outer Known approached us. They said that they, they saw a problem with using synthetics in the water. They're, you know, they all love the ocean, and, and it was just a shame that they're, they're polluting the ocean every time they're surfing. They're, they're shedding fiber into the ocean. And so they came to us and asked if there was a, a natural option with wool that we could provide. And we pointed them to the Optum Jam fabric and helped them... Um, develop a 100% merino wool board short that won't shed fibers into the ocean. Now, often these uh, relationships take a very long time. For example, uh, we've been looking after uh, Gap Corporation this week yeah. and Lululemon, um, Gap Corporation through Hill City and Banana Republic. So that hasn't happened overnight. Tell us a bit about how long it has taken to build that relationship to bring them to Australia to see where the fibre comes from. Absolutely. So that started even before I joined the company. So we've been talking to both these brands for about five years. One of my colleagues, Sarah Schlinger, who used to have my role, um, was speaking to these brands. And I, um, I kind of, she passed on the baton and I've been talking to them, going to, going to their offices, giving presentations, giving um, wool appreciation courses, and, uh, and we're, we're just finally seeing the opportunity to partner with these brands. So why is this trip so important? Why is it important that these uh, brands, these retailers, also these designers come to Australia? What, what's the significance of that? Yeah, the significance is that they, they don't understand how complex the supply chain is. So they see the fabric or maybe they see the, the end yarn, but they don't actually get to see what it takes to, to make it come from the sheep all the way into the yarn of the end fabric. And, and really the takeaway from this trip is they see how passionate and, and just how much these farmers have pride for what they do and, and just how complex and difficult it is to actually make this amazing fiber so do you see this as uh, being more more of your role um basically organizing and, and uh, cajoling trips to australia or is it more about getting uh getting the fiber into collections over there marius i would love if you could put the word in for this to be my full-time role just to come to australia and take brands around <laughs> but uh yeah i i think um this is absolutely important and something that we um we need to do on a yearly basis. I, I think that um, we, we can give examples and show pictures and videos all day long, but it, it doesn't do justice until they actually get to come here. And so I think the more we can bring brands over, the better. So tell us a little bit about how your experience uh, this week in Australia looking at farms. Uh, what did you find interesting and what did you find surprising? Yeah, so um, I... Everybody in Walmart and AWI is very passionate about what they do. 
I have a strong passion for the fiber and, and also for the sustainability credentials. And it just made me even more proud to get to come to the farm, see how hardworking and how difficult it is for, um, for this product to be made. And probably the most striking thing for me was um, seeing that the, the farmers have a demand for, or not a demand, they're very interested in traceability. They want to know where their wool is going. They'd love to be able to know what end products their wool is going to. And we're seeing from the brand and consumer side that they're also wanting traceability from sheep to product. And so it was great to see that both brands and the, uh, far, and the growers are, are on the same page there. What are the barriers uh, for more wool consumption in the U.S.? It's a great question. I, I think that um, the traceability is, is probably the biggest barrier. Um, we're seeing more and more demand for uh, understanding where, where the wool is coming from all the way to the farm. And then also uh, they want transparency on all of the animal welfare practices. And I think uh, bringing these brands to, um, to the farms, they now have a new and, and, and different understanding of where their viewpoints and, and um, where they stand on some of these animal welfare issues. And so I think educating both the consumers and brands more on, on these issues is going to be very important um, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions and, um, and that could be holding back some brands from um, really embracing wool. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's mention the elephant in the room there. Okay. We, had, we had a uh, a dinner the other night with uh, about 30 wool growers. Um, uh, mulesing was very much part of that conversation. Uh, it was really interesting. How much of a handbrake is mulesing to uh, to, to your job? Yeah, I, I, almost every single brand that I talk to asks for non-mulesed wool. And I'd say majority of them don't fully understand why. They just know that their consumer is asking for that. And we had a partner here that... Um, was interested in non-mules and she found out that pain relief was an option and that she could actually have designated PR pain relief wool um, and that actually changed her mind that she didn't necessarily need non-mules she could actually use pain relief wool and so I think that education to the brand partners is very important so they know that what just what the different options are. It's clearly a, a sensitive subject though and there are pathways through it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very sensitive, but I, I think that, um, that that's another reason why bringing the brands on this trip was so important is they got to see it firsthand and see how much the growers care about their animals and that they're, they're doing, mulesing is to help protect the animals and they don't want the animals to be in pain. And so um, they, you know, they, they take pride in um, having other options like pain relief to help take care of those animals. Okay, so um, what else would you like to have to to say to, to growers out there listening to this? Very appreciative for everything that you do. We know how hard you're working and um, we're just as passionate as you are to continuing to increase the demand for wool and we're, uh, we're working hard out there with the brands to help them continue to make more wool products. Well, um, Stephen Kelly, thanks for joining the yard. Thanks, thanks, Marius. Thanks for flying the flag for wool in the U.S. Yeah, thanks for this beautiful trip and I uh, really enjoy your country. Thanks. Stephen Kelly there, Key Account Manager for Woolmark in San Francisco. So Steve was key to bringing this retail delegation out from the US, where we went right through the entire stages, or the early stages, of the supply chain and met with a lot of growers before heading to the wool store and the auctions in Melbourne, where I had the chance to have a chat with two of the representatives from Banana Republic. Yeah, well, first of all, Marius, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. 
my name is Brianna Tubner, and I'm currently the Senior Director of Product Strategy and Operations for Banana Republic. And what that means is I'm looking at uh, the assortment of product that we have uh, in our stores and online, and uh, making sure that we're getting what the customer wants uh, when she wants it in the right style, fabric, and price. And then I'm also um, leading our operations, so our product development pipeline, how we um, concept, develop, make, and deliver our product. And I'm Kristen Schmidt. I'm senior manager of R&D, specific to sweaters, which means I'm on the fabric team, which is the best team ever, and we have the best <laughs> boss ever. It is a fact. <laughs> and um, I specifically work with the men's and sweater, sorry, the men's and women's sweater teams, and I buy um, the raw materials for sweaters. I develop them, work on costing, work on duty rulings, etc. So you both have um, positions of influence within this company, but uh, tell us what the company is. Tell us a little bit about Banana Republic. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Banana Republic is one of six brands that sits within Gap Inc.'s portfolio. So uh, Gap Inc. does about a little over $16 billion in revenue each year. We have uh, five other brands, Athleta and Hill City, which are two active brands, uh, active performance wear. Uh, we have um, Old Navy, which is a brand that sells jumpers, jeans, denim, um, active wear in the value space. And then we have a Gap brand. And then we have a, a brand called Intermix, which is a, a more premium brand that's a wholesale brand. So we sell popular brands inside of the United States. Uh, inside Banana Republic, we have um, over 800 stores. And then we have a digital online platform where we sell direct to consumer. Well, it's been a lot of fun um, having you in Australia. Yes. Welcome to Australia, um, belatedly. <laughs> Tell us a bit about why you came to Australia. How did it come about? <laughs> well, I secretly came just to pet all of the animals, and that was um, <laughs> a very successful part of the trip. Um, but seriously, for me, um, I came to see that beginning piece of the supply chain. We are super interested in traceability, and I'm very close with the mills that I work with, and so my traceability stops or goes all the way back there. But... As we've learned on this trip, I think we decided there's 25 stages between fiber and a garment in the store, and these are like the first 12 things that I wasn't even aware of. I think the most fascinating piece of the traceability was the demand for the two-way traceability. I was very surprised mm -hmm. at all the questions that farmers and everybody that we met had questions for us. I was surprised that, that was interesting and that there isn't the traceability of where their actual fiber ends up. So, uh, Brianna, how did you manage to actually get yeah. here in terms of how, how did that all start? Well, I actually met, um, you know, Walmart uh, when we were exploring some product innovation um, options and we were introduced to Walmart's uh, R&D uh, program and working with brands to uh, develop new product innovations around wool uh, and through that we had Walmart come in and do a wool appreciation course 
for a lot of our brands within Gapping to talk about the natural um, properties of wool and um, some of the performance capabilities that um, are emerging in the market and just built a relationship. I think that was maybe two or three years ago. And then recently, Walmart reached out again and was offering this trip. And we got together a, a group inside Across Gap Inc. from our brands to come and uh, see firsthand the, uh, the beginning of the supply chain. So over the last couple of days, you've come to Australian Wool Innovation where you've had some presentations about what we do and a bit of about R&D and on-farm. And then we visited... Uh, a couple of farms over the last couple of days. We had dinner with a lot of wool growers last night and uh, we're currently speaking at uh, the Brooklyn Wool Store in Victoria. Have you largely seen what you expected to see, Chris? Yes, I feel like I'm pretty well educated on the fibre piece and the animal piece of the supply chain. Um, it is what I expected to see, and I would say more comfortable than what I expected to see. We do have a company policy um, against mulesing, and I was nervous to see that procedure. I was nervous to see the results of this and have the dialogue around it. And I was super happy to see the alternatives that include robust pain management and the new uh, freeze branding that's coming out. That is key. Why is that so key? I think, I mean, we as a company are concerned about the treatment of the animals, and then of course that spreads to the public who are concerned about the treatment of the animals, and um, it's key to know that it's being managed in a way that it is comfortable. Anesthesia that is administered before and analgesics that are administered afterward is huge, and it wasn't something that I was aware was happening within that process. So uh, is it fair to say that uh, the issue has is evolving more than you expected it to? Absolutely. Yeah. But once you've declared that you will only be buying non-mules wool, it's hard to move from that position, I presume. Agreed, and I don't know that we would want to move from the position. I think that we are comfortable that there are alternatives like the freeze branding, so we wouldn't need to use meals to wool. We have shown that we don't need to use it, but now we have alternatives that make the farmer happy as well and open up our supply chain to more farms. America is uh, a country that is, is, is really woven very tightly with cotton. You've got a, a great heritage with uh, that natural fibre, and there's been a, a very stop-start history of, uh, of wool in America. Um, Brianna, where do you see this from a strategic point of view um, for your company? Are you looking to use more wool, uh, merino wool, or where, where does it all fit? Yeah, well, I, I think we're always looking to see what the uh, customer's end use of a garment is and how customer behaviors are changing. We have um, a very active population in the United States that... Um, is looking for comfort and moisture management. And we're seeing in the market um, a huge growth in merino wool base layers, uh, which obviously provide that moisture management and comfort. So as those consumer preferences and trends keep growing, it's certainly something that we'll be providing to our customer. 
and um, we've launched a couple of um, garment education campaigns. So re very recently, actually just a few weeks ago, and something Kristen wrote and was a part of, um, we released a wool garment uh, after care campaign on our Instagram uh, stories, and it talked about how customers can uh, better take care of their wool products, and we think that campaigns like these will continue to help customers understand the benefits of the wool fiber. And the reason the sweater care blog was so, um, I think it's going to be effective is because it's really personal and it's like conversational language. And mm. so even within the writing of it, the internal team was surprised that my recommendation was if you're wearing a wool garment, flick it, leave it over door, hang it overnight. And by the next day, because of its natural properties of being antimicrobial, antibacterial, it's going to be fine to put back away in the cupboard. You don't need to launder or wash this as much as possible. And to what Brianna was saying about a very busy lifestyle, like an active lifestyle, being sporty, etc. it's also a very busy lifestyle. Like we're multitaskers, right? Like mm -hmm. we have the marriage of our, our work and our personal life and volunteerism and everything. And it's an easier garment to care for than another sweater that you'd have to wash and dry after every wearing. One of the things that I just wanted to add around um, my expectations in coming here and then what we saw out on the farms the last couple of days. So like Kristen, you know, we've been at you know, countless mills and um, vendors that are weaving or knitting or cutting and sewing our products, but this was one of my first times at a, at a farm and actually seeing this stage of the um, of the supply chain. And what I was so impressed by was the um, the amount of science involved mm -hmm. with uh, w with growing sheep and specifically um, the statistics and the breeding and the amount of um, work that goes into creating the wool that we see. So even being here at the at the auction and, and walking around and, and sampling and testing um, all of the lots, it still doesn't provide that picture of what it takes the farmer to do to create some of the wool that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So that's been game-changing for me. So given, given there is this thirst for traceability but also provenance and the growers want the same, uh, how do you see that evolving? Well, really, through conversations like these and really building relationships like these, um, we uh, at Banana Republic specifically have publicly launched uh, sustainability goals. We did that on Earth Day in 2019, earlier this year. And the goals are around water savings, um, eco-friendly denim, uh, cotton, and um, products from sustainable fibers. And I think having a conversation with the beginning or the, the tracing back to the beginning of the supply chain is going to help us achieve those goals. And conversations like we've had over the last three or four days are priceless in terms of how we'll develop our strategy around this. Well, yeah, we, as consumers, we like to know where our food comes from, but is this, is this an, an Uber trend? Is this something continuing for fiber as well, or is it, uh, or is it just a bit of a thought bubble? I think it is a potential and certainly a dialogue that is coming out of the trip because as we were talking about, like we are very clear with, um, legally, we have to be very clear with the origin of a garment, meaning where it's manufactured. And sometimes we do level that down 
little more traceability showing where our fabrics come from. And it would be an interesting way to present a product if we also showed where the fiber came from. And that's a dialogue that I'd love to start. Have yeah. you done that before with cotton? No. No, I think, I think one of the, the other things we're seeing in the market is, um, you know, the, the retail apparel market is, uh, there's a lot of variables right now that are happening. So we've had um, a digital transformation, uh, e-commerce, uh, we have startups that are, the barriers to entry to come into the retail market are much lower now. Uh, and we're seeing that we have to use that digital channel and that, that, that digital real estate to tell uh, even better stories about our products. Mm -hmm. So before, when a customer would walk into a store, we would have the hang tag, they could read the story. But now we have this website where we can have videos, we can tell stories, we can talk a lot more extensively about the product. And um, I think there's a huge opportunity to tell traceability stories in our product, and the it's, it's resonating with the customer. Well, we have a lot of growers that um, listen to this, uh, thankfully. Um, what, what, what you've spoken to a few um, through this trip. There's been some pretty honest conversations, but uh, it's been a lot of fun as well. What would you like to say to growers about continuing to grow their fiber, or if they're thinking about whether they should um, move to another enterprise? Big question. Um, I'd say keep your single sons inside and coming for them <laughs> all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to leave that in. a great question. I mean, look, they know you, I would say to them directly, you know your business better than I certainly do, and, and knowing and Kristen. Um, but I think what resonated for us the most was the, um, the investment in uh, the, the land. So we talked a lot about uh, soil health and, uh, and the insights and innovation there, I think, span the, the wool grower industry. Uh, and then I think some of the traceability technology that we saw in terms of... Um, logging the the sheep and knowing their weights and the um the history of their um their gene pools and that to me i think is the future of um traceability and so some of these investments i think are going to go a long way to help the industry get there and then i would just say too um you know building relationships, building these relationships that we were able to do over the last three or four days and continuing the dialogue. There is an, a great interest on our side to talk and learn and see. And like we saw last night, just the conversation around the, the word Merino being mm -hmm. so popular yes. and well-known in the U.S. Um, and I, I was surprised that that was insightful to the growers. So my point is, is the more we can just keep having conversations with each other, the more we'll glean these insights. Agree. That was that was really insightful. Um, <laughs> that wool is a giant bucket of many, many, many things, and that merino does have meaning, and the verbiage should be used more. Yeah. 
Well, um, it has been such a pleasure to, um, to show you around just a tiny, tiny bit of Australia um, this week. But uh, thank you very much for coming over. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, it's and, been um, such a pleasure. Yeah. And the last thing we'll say is you keep the Kelpies going. The, yeah. the dogs were <laughs> such a hit this week. There are no Kelpies left. I've taken them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we unfortunately have quarantine laws in the U.S., so we can't take them all back with us. But. Brianna and Kristen, um, thank you very much again. And uh, thanks for joining us on The Arn. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Brianna Tubner and Kristen Schmidt from Banana Republic there. And a huge thank you to the wool growers, Neil Harris of Costafield and Alistair Laid and his daughter Isabel at Seymour, as well as the elders staff at the Brooklyn Wool Store, Julian Collins of ABMT Textiles and David Crow at the Australian Wool Testing Authority for your time as part of this very successful trip. It was also a lot of fun. So hopefully that has given you some insight into the US market for wool and our role in it. Feedback is always welcome to this podcast at theyarnatwool.com. For now, though, from me, Murray is coming. Thanks for your company, and I look forward to it again soon.